Book Two, Chapter Nine of Clara Vaughan, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Clara Vaughan, Volume One by R. D. Blackmore. Book Two, Chapter Nine. Soon afterward, Anne Maples went to the place which she had obtained in Lady Cranberry's household, and I determined to begin my search. Mrs. Shelfer, do you know London well? My landlady was feeding her birds, and I had made up for her disappointment about Lady Cranberry by fitting the lame blackbird with a wooden leg cut from a skewer and tipped with a button. It was pretty to see how kindly and cleverly he took to it, and how proudly he contemplated it when he thought there was no one watching. His mistress now stopped her work and made ready for a long speech, with the usual snap of her lips. "'No London, Miss Vaughan. I was born in Red Cross Street, and I've never been further out of town than Chalk Farm Fair or Hampstead Waterworks, and, please God, I never will. Bless me, what an awful place the country is. Awful! What with the trees and the ditches and the sting-nettles and the black wainscot with the skewers on top! Too bad of you, Mrs. Shelfer, to be frightened at palings, and your husband a gardener, too. But tell me, whereabouts is Grove Street?' "'What Grove Street, my good friend?' grove street london to be sure why dear me miss i thought you knew everything you can doctor jack and the bully and tell me all about sandy the squirrel's tail and the hair coming off it when it's going to rain don't you know there's a dozen grove streets in london for all i know leastways i know four and where are those four mrs shelfer now please my good friend give me just a minute to think it is dreadful work to be hurried ever since i fell downstairs when i was six years old let me see now charlie knows can't you wait miss till charlie comes home and he's coming quite early this evening with two friends of his to supper no mrs shelfer i cannot wait if you can't tell me i must go and get a book oh them books is no good why they ain't got charlie in and he with the lease on one time of the garden in hollyhock square and a dahlia named after him at the royal heretical society and they did say the queen would have handed him the spade she liked his looks so much only his nails wasn't clean very likely you heard miss and how he was cheated out of it. Do you expect me to wait all day? No, no, my good friend, to be sure not. You never will wait a minute, particular when I spill the coals, and when I want to baste the meat. And how can the gravy run in a pinch of salt in the dripping pan? Yesterday, Mrs. Shelfer, you basted my pound and a half of mutton with three pounds of coals. Now don't go off on a treatise. Answer me. Where is Grove Street? Bless my heart, Miss Vaughan. You never gives one a chance and we thought a young lady from the country as had been brought up with tags and lace and bobbins and pigs and hay could be cheated anyhow no i don't mean that i beg your pardon dear patty i often speak very hastily what i mean is that you thought i should know nothing at all and i don't know much but one thing i do know that you would never cheat me much to my surprise she was not at all sensitive on this subject in fact she had dealt with so many lodgers that she expected to be suspected but I believe she never cheated me more than she could help. She answered me quite calmly after some meditation. To be sure, miss, to be sure, I only does my duty. A little dripping, maybe, or a drop of milk for old Tom, and a piece of soap you left in the water, miss. I keep it for Charlie to shave with. Now, Mrs. Shelfer, no more of that. Come back to Grove Street. Surely I have given you enough time now. Well, miss, there is one I know close by here. You keep down the Willow Road, and by the fishmonger shop, and then you turn on the right over against the license pursuant to act George the Fourth. I knows George the Fourth acted badly, but I never thought it was all that way. 
Sam the sweep lives with him, and the young man with a hook for his hand that lets out the times for a penny and keeps all his brothers and sisters. And where are the other three that you know? There's one in Hackney, and one in Bethnal Green, and there's one in Mile End Road. Bless me, to be sure, I've been there with dear Mrs. Minto after a cat she lost, a tabby with a silver collar on and a notch in his left ear. It would make you cry, miss. Thank you, Mrs. Shelfer. That will do for the present. I'll go up to the drawing-room now. In a few minutes I went forth, with my dark plaid shawl around me, which had saved my mother's life, and was thenceforth sacred. It was the first time I walked all alone in London, and though we lived quite in the suburbs, it seemed very odd to me. For a while I felt rather nervous, but no one molested me then or at any other time, although I have heard some plain young ladies declare that they could not walk in London without attracting unpleasant attention, perhaps because they knew not the way either to walk or to dress. Without any trouble I found number 19 Grove Street, then rang the bell and looked round me. It was a clean, unpretentious street, not to be known by its architecture from a thousand others in London. The bell was answered by a neat little girl, and I asked for the master of the house. Clever tactics, truly, for commencing a task like mine. Being told that the master was from home, I begged to see the mistress. The little maid hesitated a while, with the chain of the door in her hand, and then invited me into the parlour, a small room, but neat and pretty. "'Please, miss, what name shall I say?' "'Miss Vaughan, if you please.' Then I said to myself, "'What good am I? Is this my detective adroitness?' Presently a nice old lady with snow-white hair came in. "'Miss Vaughan,' she asked with a pleasant smile, "'do you wish to see me?' "'Yes, if you please, just to ask a few questions as to the inmates of this house.' Despite her kindness and good breeding, the lady stared a little. "'May I inquire your motives? Do you know me at all? I have not the pleasure of knowing you.' My motives I must not tell you, but as a lady I assure you that curiosity is not one, neither are they improper. She looked at me in great surprise, examined me closely, and then replied, Young lady, I believe what you say. It is impossible not to do so. But my answering must depend on the nature of your inquiries. You have done, excuse my saying it, you have done a very odd thing. I will not ask many questions. How many people live here? I will answer you curtly as you ask unless you ask what I do not choose to answer. Four people live here, namely, my husband, myself, our only daughter, but for whom I might have been ruder to you, and the child who let you in. Also a woman comes every day to work. Are there no more? Forgive my impertinence. No strangers to the family. No lodgers whatever. My son is employed in the city and sleeps there. My only daughter is in very weak health, and though we do not want all the house, we are not obliged to take lodgers a thing I would never do, because they always expect to be cheated. And is your husband an Englishman? Yes, and an English writer, not altogether unknown. She mentioned a name of good repute, in the world of letters, as even I was aware. You have quite satisfied me. I thank you most heartily. Very few would have been so polite and kind. I fear you must think me a very singular being, but I have powerful motive, and am quite a stranger in London. My dear, I knew that at once. No Londoner would have learned from me the family history I have told you. I should have shown them out the very first question. Thank you. Oh, thank you, my child. But I am sure you have hurt yourself. Oh, the shell has run into your forehead. As she looked so intently at me on her way to the door of the room, her foot had been caught by the claw of the what-not, and I barely saved her from falling. No, Mrs. Elton, I am not hurt at all. How stupid of me to be sure, and all my fault that you fell. I hope the shell is not broken. Oh, I bring very bad luck to all who treat me kindly. The shell is not worth sixpence. The fault was all my own. If you had not been wonderfully quick, I might have fallen heavily. 
Pray sit down and recover yourself, Miss Vaughan. Look, you have dropped a letter. Dear me, I know that writing. Excuse me, it is I that am now impertinent. If you know that writing, please tell me how and where. The letter she had seen was the anonymous one which brought me from Devonshire to London. I had put it into my pocket, thinking that it might be wanted. It fell out as I leaped forward, and it lay on the floor wide open. May I look at the writing more closely? Perhaps I am deceived. For a while I hesitated, but it seemed so great a point to know who the writer was that I hushed my hesitation. However, I showed the letter so that she could not gather its import. Yes, said Mrs. Elton, I am quite certain now that is the writing of a Polish lady, whom at one time I knew well. My husband has written a work upon Poland, which brought him into contact with some of the refugees. Among them was a gentleman of some scientific attainments, who had a pretty, lively, warm-hearted wife, very fond of dancing, and very fond of dogs. She and I have had many a laugh at one another and ourselves, for though my hair is grey, I am fond of lively people. And where is that lady now? My child, I cannot tell you. Her name I will tell you, if you like, when I have consulted my husband, but it will help you very little toward finding her, for they change their names almost every time they move. Even in London they forget that they are not heard every time they sneeze. The furtive habits, born of oppression, cling about them still. And where did they live at the time you knew them? Wrung by suspense and anxiety, I had forgotten good manners, but Mrs. Elton had good feeling which knows when to dispense with them. Nevertheless I blushed with shame at my own effrontery. Not very far from here, in a part that is called Agertown. But they have left now London and England too, I believe. I must tell you no more, because they had reasons for wishing to be unknown. Only tell me one thing. Were they cruel or violent people? The very opposite. Most humane and warm-hearted. They would injure no one, and hated all kinds of cruelty. How pale you are, my child! You must have a glass of wine. It is useless to say no. As this clue, which seemed so promising, led to nothing at all, I may as well wind it up at once, and not tangle my story with it. Mr. Elton permitted his wife to tell me all she knew about the Polish exiles, for they were gone to America, and nothing done here could harm them. But at the same time he made me promise not to mention to the police, if my case should ever come before them, the particulars which he gave me, and I am sure he would not wish me to make free with the gentleman's name. A gentleman he was, as both my kind friends assured me, and not likely to conceal any atrocious secret, unless he had learned it in a way which laid it upon his honour. Mr. Elton had never been intimate with him, and knew not who his friends were, but Mrs. Elton had liked the lady, who was very kind and passionate. Also she was very apt to make mistakes in English names, and to become confused at moments of excitement. Therefore Mrs. Elton thought that she had confounded the Elton's address with that of some other person, for it seemed a most unlikely thing that she should know the residence at 2 Numbers 19 Grove Street. However so it proved, but of that in its place. It was now six months since they had quitted London, perhaps on account of the climate, for the gentleman had been ill some time, and quite confined to the house. It would be altogether vain to think of tracing them in America. While living in London they owned a most magnificent dog, a truly noble fellow, but afflicted with a tumour. The dog suddenly disappeared, and they would not tell what had become of him, but the lady cried most violently one day when he was spoken of. Directly after this they left the country, with a very brief farewell. All of this I learned from Mr. and Mrs. Elton during my second visit, for Mrs. Elton was too good a wife to dispense with her husband's judgment. Also I saw their daughter, a pleasing, delicate girl. They learned, of course, some parts of my story, and were most kind and affectionate to me, and I am proud to have preserved their friendship to the present time. But as they take no prominent share in the drama of my life, 
henceforth they will not be presented upon its stage as i returned up the villa road thinking of all i had heard and feeling down at heart something cold was gently placed at my ungloved hand turning in surprise and fright i saw an enormous dog wagging his tail and looking at me with magnificent brown eyes those great brown eyes were begging clearly for the honour of my acquaintance and that huge muzzle was deposited as a gauge of love as i stooped to ascertain his sentiments he gravely raised one mighty paw and offered it to me delicately with a little sigh of self-approval upon my accepting it frankly and begging to congratulate him upon his noble appearance and evident moral excellence he put out his tongue a brilliant red one and gave me a serious kiss then he shrugged his shoulders and looked with patient contempt at a nicely dressed young lady who was exerting her lungs at a silver whistle some fifty yards down the road go good dog i said with a smile run that's a good dog your mistress wants you immediately let her wait he said with his eyes i am not in a hurry this morning and she doesn't know what to do with her time however if you think it would be rude of me and with that he resumed a long bone laid aside while he chatted with me tucked it lengthwise in his mouth like a tobacco pipe and after shaking hands again and saying now don't forget me the great dog trotted away sedately flourishing his tail on high like a plume of pampas grass at the corner of the railings he overtook his young mistress whose features i could not descry though from her air and walk i knew that she must be a pretty girl a good-tempered one too she seemed to be for she only shook her little whip lightly at the dog who made an excursion across the road and sniffed at a heap of dust end of book two chapter nine